Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's over there. This is Stuff You Should Know. So, huge thanks right off the bat to everyone who came out for our Northeast Plus One summer tour. Yes, it was a pretty big success. Yeah, big thanks uh, Boston and New York and Philadelphia and Durham and Washington, D.C. Yep. Uh, and look for us this fall, like early October, in the Midwest. The upper Midwest. Don't get excited yet, St. Louis. Not yet. No. <laughs> but uh, hopefully we're targeting uh, Detroit, because, boy, we're long overdue for Detroit. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to be received in Detroit. You They're going to love us. Oh, I hope so. I think uh, we're looking at Chicago, Detroit, maybe Cleveland. Uh, Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee or Madison. We're not quite sure yet. Yeah. So um, maybe some advice, Wisconsinites. Yeah. And then everyone in each city will just say, come here. Right. Because I don't feel like driving a few hours. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, thanks for the support and, um, look for us this fall. And did you thank Squarespace? Yeah. Did you thank How Stuff Works? Yeah. Did you thank, uh, Jerry for the moral support? Sure. I okay. thank Jerry every day. Nice. It's part of my wake up routine. Yeah. I'm looking forward to going back on tour. It's fun. It is. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> We're going to channel our stuff you missed in history class. Yeah. I'm not sure if they've done this or not. Have you, are you? Uh, I don't know. So, um, Chuck, I don't know if you know this one because it didn't come up in this article. But back in World War II, mm-hmm. did you know that the Japanese actually carried out bombing campaigns, two of them, in Oregon? Uh, I did know that. Oh, you did? I'm a bit of a buff. Isn't that insane? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of forgotten history or little-known history that you read it in uh Thank God for like the internet because someone will post an article and say, I bet you never knew this. Yeah. And then you're like, what? Yeah. That's pretty much the function of the internet. That, yeah. What you just described, <laughs> you know? Sure. So this one, I think I learned about this from, unsurprisingly, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader years and years and years ago. Oh, yeah? But definitely not in this kind of detail. It turns out that in World War II, in uh, 1942, I uh-huh. believe... In uh, Armagansett, New York, which is on Long Island, and Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, which is just south of uh, Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, Nazi saboteurs landed. They invaded America. Yeah. Pretty remarkable. <laughs> it really is. What's even more remarkable is how badly their operations went. Yeah. What's remarkable is, well, not remarkable. What's, uh, thankfully, they chose a bunch of dopes. Um, half-hearted dopes. Half-hearted dopes who, I don't know if they didn't do their research. We'll, we'll get into how they pick these, these schmoes. Yeah. But, um, didn't go so well. <laughs> no, it really didn't. But if they had to pick some, like, the right guys, it might have been a whole different story. Oh, yeah, totally. In this war. And, and the FBI, and especially J. Edgar Hoover, really lucked out that these guys were half-hearted dopes. Well, not if you ask him. No. <laughs> it was just, he might as well have worn a cape around the office. Yeah. You know? Well, he may have, and little else. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, back in World War II, even before World War II, or before the U.S. entered the Second World War, Hitler had this great fantasy of 
sending New York City up in flames. Yeah. Like he really wanted to just destroy New York. And uh, Werner von Braun, the uh, guy who helped get America to the moon, yeah. was working on a, a rocket program that could strike uh, the United States from Europe. That was one thing. Never fully realized. No. Um, because the war came to an end before they could develop the, the right kind of missile. But they were working on it. Yeah. And they were also working on long-range bombers that could fly out of Europe all the way to America's east coast and bomb. Yeah, apparently Hitler used to literally sit around and watch, like, film footage of cities burning and, like, fantasize about New York City. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah, well, he was pretty crazy. Sure. Um, but he finally realized that, like, if he was going to get New York, mm-hmm. the best, most efficient, most at-hand way to do that was to send saboteurs into the United States to infiltrate and do New York themselves. That's right. You know? Terrorists, essentially. Well, yeah. The only thing that kept them from being considered full-fledged to straight-up terrorists is because we were formally at war with this country. So yeah. they were they were considered officially spies and unofficially saboteurs. Yes. Uh, should we shout out the articles here? Yes, let's. Right off the bat. I read, well, I read a few. I read one on uh, Damned Interesting, which was good. Uh there was one you sent called World War II, uh, German Saboteurs Invade America in 1942. Yeah, that was um, on History Net. History Net? Yeah. And I feel like there was one more. There was a Der Spiegel article. Oh, yeah. That's one. I um, called Operation Pastorius, Hitler's Unfulfilled Dream of a New York in Flames. Yeah. Poor Hitler. I know. <laughs> His dreams failed. So uh, World War II hadn't been raging for long for the U.S. when this happened. It was... Um, Right after uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed, and Hitler said, "You know what? They think they're over there. They're a long way from us, so they probably feel pretty pretty safe. Mm-hmm. So let me undermine that and let me uh, devise this plan. Um, and it was originally going to be a, a wave of saboteurs. Like right. every, you know, four to six weeks, they were going to be sending in small teams of of." terrorists slash spies to wreak havoc on the U.S. And uh, thankfully, it didn't work out that way, so it was kind of scrapped. Yeah, the the Abwehr, I think that's how you pronounce it. You're the one who knows German. Abwehr. Is that right? Yeah. So that was the... um, the basically the sabotage unit of the German military intelligence corps. And these guys had kind of perfected their craft with explosives and sure. terrorism and, and um, all that jazz yeah. in European theaters already in the war. And so they set up a school, a terrorist school, which supposedly these guys were trained in like jujitsu as well as explosives and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'll bet it looked a lot like... Um, Enter the dragon in there, but with Germans, you know? Yeah, I wonder if they were trained. Like a kung fu school <laughs> on an island somewhere, but this is in the woods. I wonder if they, in the Black Forest perhaps? Yeah. I wonder if they were trained in uh, pinochle and movie watching and uh, car, car buying. <laughs> I think that just came naturally. <laughs> and later. rolling over and singing like a canary. <laughs> so the uh, the Abwehr um, selected a man. His name was uh, Walter Cap, or is that Cappy? It'd be Walter Cap. Well, Walter Kapp, who was a, a pudgy, bull-necked man, as described in the History Net article. And the reason that they selected him to head up this operation, which Kapp came to um, nickname as Operation Pastorius, 
which is named after Francis Daniel Pastorius, one of the early German immigrants to the United States yeah. who arrived in Philadelphia in 1683. The reason they selected Cap for this operation was because he um, had lived in America for 12 years already. So he yeah. was he was... He understood America, how it functioned, what targets should be struck, that kind of stuff. Sure. And they said, select your teams. Yeah. And so he put a donkey on the wall and got a, a tail with a little pin on it. Right. <laughs> now, what he did was he did some research and he went through the records of something called the Auslan Institute. Yeah. And uh, they were big on getting Germans back to Germany. Right, ones that had emigrated to the United States Once all over war the world. Broke out, yeah. Okay, so specifically the ones he were look he was looking for were ones who had been in the United States. Yeah, in this case, and a a lot of these people had been in what was called the Bund, or is it the Bund? Uh, I would say it's a Bund, the American Bund, which okay. was like the basically the Nazi sympathizers in the United States, right? And they would set up little shops all over the country. Yeah, and they would speak out against um, Franklin Roosevelt and um, speak in favor of fascism. And apparently they managed to get 20,000 people at a rally at Madison Square Garden once. By holding a Knicks game? Pretty much. (laughs) I don't think the Knicks could even get 20,000 people to come out to Madison Square. Um, But they were so uh, unpredictable and radical here in the United States that even the Nazi party officially distance itself from these guys in well, the Bund. yeah, officially. Unofficially, they recruited from their ranks, sure. specifically for Operation Pastorius. Yeah, so what he uh, he found some, some blue-collar dudes. Um, all but two of them had been Nazi Party members, which was a good start. Uh, four dropped off right off the bat, and that left them with uh, what would be uh, eight dudes, which they divided up into two teams of four. Right. Uh, one leader on each side, and then three... Uh, dopes below them with with cap at the head of the whole thing yeah even though he he didn't come over to the united states for the operation he was just sort of running the training initially yeah and he, he was watching him do jujitsu i guess so <laughs> so here in the hilarious germans yeah. doing jujitsu well, in the woods really. i don't think so it just seems a little like you know neighborhood ninja camp kind of stuff you know <laughs> Well, they had to train in some sort of hand-to-hand combat. No, they're saboteurs. They're not. They don't need to know that. They're not, they're supposed to know how to blow up a bridge. Yeah, but what if they get caught in the middle? They gotta like turn and run away. Jujitsu somebody down. No, you just run if you're a saboteur. <laughs> well, that's some foreshadowing right there. So uh, here are the players on uh, on one t- on team one. We'll call it team um, Eins. How about that? Is that one? Sure. Okay. Uh, on team Eins, you had the leader George John. Uh, Dosh, and he was 39. He was the oldest guy, and uh, <laughs> he was so old. I know, 39. And he was picked because he was um, he was a smooth talker, and he was apparently just seemed very American. Which was, if you're going to stick some Germans over there to to be saboteurs, it's probably good if they can pass themselves off as just regular good. German Americans. Right. Plus, also, you have the added benefit of not having to teach them to speak colloquial English. Sure. Um, and they already know the terrain. They know the culture. Where's Coney Island? Right. I want the hot dog. Exactly. Yeah. So they were all good. Right. Yeah. Was that Count Dracula? Huh? No. That, no. Was, uh, that was my German <laughs> oh, <okay>. saboteur. <laughs> I got you. So that's why they went with the guys who had already spent time in America. Plus, they it also showed a um, 
a pretty significant loyalty to your homeland, the fatherland in this case, yeah. where when war breaks out, you go back to where the war is being fought sure. to support it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're like selecting from the Auslands Institute roles of emigrants who were also boond members. It seemed like a, a just a knock it out of the park group of guys. Yeah. So um, uh, Dosh, he was... Uh he actually did, like you said, served in the German army in World War One. came to America, uh, worked as a waiter, and then in 1939 said, you know what, C- duty calls, I'm going back home. Right. Um, the second guy on the first team, Ernest Peter Berger, he was um, supposedly a smart guy, and he had an interesting story because he was... He had long been a Nazi since they said as, you know, as long as Hitler himself had been a Nazi. Yeah, he was part of the Beer Hall push. Yeah, he was a, uh, what you call a, er, what's it, early adopter. He was. <laughs> of Nazism. He, he really was. And, and he, he actually had fled Germany for the United States because he was afraid he was going to get brought up on, um, brawling charges. That's right. He liked to fight. Yeah, and he stayed there for about six years and then, uh, worked as a machinist. In the Midwest, uh, even joined the National Guard, the U.S. National Guard, yeah, and um, became an American citizen. Yep. And then he went back after Hitler gained power, right? Well, he went back pr- mainly because of the Great Depression. Cause, oh, is that right? Yeah, but I mean, it coincided. But he was like, "Yeah, this place stinks now." Yeah, and Hitler's in power. I'm going to go become a brown shirt and rough up people on the street, which is what he did, pretty much, because he really did love to fight. And um, the brown shirts were purged in the Night of the Long Knives by Hitler and his uh, cronies. Yeah. And um, Berger, was, it was Berger, right? Yeah. He, he, he managed to not be killed yeah. during that purge. Yeah. So he was working with his buddy um, Ernst Röhm uh, of the stormtroopers, like serious business. Right. Röhm was actually killed during the purge. Oh, he was? Oh yeah, they they put apparently they put a pistol in his cell with him and gave him ten minutes to kill himself. Yeah, and he said if uh, if you want me dead, Adolf's gonna have to do it himself. And they came back and he with was, Hitler, he was standing there, right? <laughs> yeah, and Hitler's like, "What is going on here?" Yeah. Um, and the guy was standing there with his shirt off, with his chest bared to him. Yeah, supposedly, and they just shot him in the chest point blank. Yeah, and the head of the brown shirts went down. So that didn't work out for him. No, but Berger did survive this. Yeah, he did survive and uh, went off to college, but then he wrote a, uh, a a paper about the Gestapo that was not too favorable, and he got sent to a concentration camp huh. for his efforts for 17 months. Right, and then when he was released, they said, you can come out, but you have to go off with the army. Yeah, they harassed his wife. It was, I don't know that he was the best pick. Right. Like now, a, now that I think this about guy it. that we've antagonized <laughs> yeah. and thrown in prison and then forced into the army. Sure. We also killed his boss. Yeah. Harassed but his wife. We'll trust him as a saboteur. <laughs> yeah, as a team of one of eight. <laughs> right. So Berger is the right hand man to Dosh's team on Team Einz. Team Einz. E I N Z? Uh E I N Z. Okay, cool. Yeah. Then there were other there were two other dudes, Heinrich Heink. Right? That's a great name. And Richard Quirin. Yes. And they were a couple of machinists who um, were a couple of machinists. They'd been in America for a while, came back, and were selected for this team. Yeah, basically, they went back to Germany, started working at uh, Volkswagen, and, um, you know, I I guess we're probably eager to leap on 
a, a top secret job like this. Sure. It's probably appealing to these guys. Right. You know? So that was Team Eins. We'll talk about Team Zwei. Zwei. Yeah. <laughs> right after this. Yeah. So, Chuck, uh, tell us about the smiling faces on Team Spy. <laughs> well, Josh, Team Spy was led by a man named Edward uh, Curling, <clears throat> or Edward, I guess. Who, as I take it, is the only competent person in this entire mission. Yeah. He seemed like it, right? <laughs> kind of. A little yeah. more than the rest? Yeah. Comparatively um, speaking, he seemed like a, a criminal genius. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so he was also uh, one of uh, had gone to America in 1929 to work, uh, married a, a German woman there, and then they worked together as butler, uh, butler and cook for a little while, and then he said, eh, "You know what? I, th- I don't like you anymore. I think I want an American woman." Mm-hmm. So he did that, and then uh, when the war broke out, he tried to sail to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm not sure if he was a mastermind either. Now that I think about it, well, he showed a lot of initiative. Well, good point. And uh, he was turned back by the um, the Coast Guard, but he finally made it to Germany um, in 1940, and he ended up working at the Ministry of Propaganda. Yeah, I guess with Goebbels, huh? Uh, yeah. Sure. And when he uh, tried to um, sail to Germany that one time, he actually had a, a, a guy with him named, um, was it Herbert Neubauer, I believe? Oh, was Neubauer on his boat? Yeah, he was on that crew. Ah. And so he would have been turned back as well. So, um. So he was a natural fit. Right. And they knew each other. And Curling actually recommended Herman Neubauer, uh, to be part of the team. He's like, he can hoist a sail. <laughs> yeah. What else do you need to know? He was in the Boond. Who cares? Uh, there was the, the youngest member of his crew at 22 was Herbert Haupt. And, um, he moved to the U.S. when he was just five years old. And so I don't know that he was a great choice because he was practically American. Yeah. And, he, you know, he was also not so smart or let me put it this way. Experienced. He was not experienced. Right. That? A little a little green. Yeah. A little wet behind the ears. Sure. Um, and then the last guy, Werner Thiel, he, surprise, surprise, was a member of the Boond. And uh, he was working in a war plant. So just this weird hodgepodge ragtag group of guys were selected. Only two people out of the whole original 12 were, had been in the military. Yeah, this sounds like a m- movie in the making. Oh, yeah. It, but it just, if it would have had a great third act, it probably would already be a movie. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it is lacking a third act. I imagine like when, if someone had tried to develop this, they're like, this sounds great so far. It's going great. And then, oh, that's how it ends? Yeah. <laughs> Shelf it. Yeah. Um, so these guys are put together. They're sent to the Abwehr school yeah. to learn jiu-jitsu. Sure. And the oldest guy, George Dosh, is like, low kick, low kick, ah, oh, my hip. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, they were also studying, like, explosive techniques. And, right, you know, and wiring. Not just explosive jiu-jitsu techniques. <laughs> right. But real explosive. Right. Yeah. Uh, wiring, detonation, timers, all of this stuff. They got to go on field trips to um, power plants and... Bridges and canals yeah, and fun. see like where the weak points were. Um, 
And all of this took place over an intensive 18 days of training. That's it. They got 18 days of training. Yeah. And apparently Dosh, the leader of Team Eins, wasn't even, uh, I read one account that said he basically kind of snoozed through most of it, no. which would go on to explain a few things later. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. 18 days and you can't even stay awake to yeah. learn how to blow something up. Seriously. Um, all right. On May 23rd, they were given their assignment. Um, and these were... I mean, this was pretty smart. The assignments were they had oh, yeah. a good. They had a good plan in place. Small teams of dudes. Uh, Dasha's team was assigned to destroy quite a few things: um, hydroelectric uh, plants at Niagara Falls. Mm-hmm. Makes uh, sense. The Aluminum Company of America, uh, the factory in Illinois, Tennessee, New York. Yeah, three plants, and, and the Philadelphia Salt Company's cryolite plant, which apparently supplies. Raw material, uh, materials for aluminum. Right. And the reason they want, wanted to go after aluminum was because aluminum production in the United States, the output was greater than all of Europe's, both sides, Axis and, or no, I'm sorry, all of the Axis's aluminum production yeah. put together. And aluminum is a very, very valuable thing during war. You sure. use it to make aircraft frames. Oh, yeah. You use it to make, um, the interiors of ships. Uh, apparently you use it for everything from like MREs, like the field ration tin cans or, yeah. well, not tin cans, aluminum cans. Yeah. But all of this stuff comes in handy. And if pinwheels? You can, if you can, sure, pinwheels, like yeah. the good ones. Yeah. If you, um, but those, man, you can cut your finger off with one of those things. Yeah. Uh, if you can cripple aluminum production, you can put a serious dent in the wartime effort. Yeah, it was, it was a smart play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they are also told to bomb um, locks on the Ohio River between uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and Pittsburgh. Yes. So disrupting... Uh, Transportation. That, sure, that would have been a huge deal. They, they would just strap a bomb to a pack mule that was <laughs> supposed to be pulling a, a boat along the canal, and kaboom! So that's Team Ains. Yeah. Team Spy. Curling's team. They said, all right, you guys, we want you to concentrate on railroads uh, because we saw during the American Civil War destroying railroads is a great way to cripple an army. Sure. Um, they blew, and I don't think that's where they got the idea. You know, it's long been a wartime thing to destroy railroads. I see. Pennsylvania Railroad Station at Newark. Right. Uh, the Horseshoe Bend section of railroad track near Altoona, Pennsylvania. Chesapeake and Ohio Railroad, parts of it, the New York Central Railroad's Hellgate Bridge, uh, locks and canals in St. Louis, Cincinnati, Ohio, and the water supply system of New York. Right, and they were also told to carry out acts of general terrorism to scare people in general. Yeah. Bombing Jewish-owned department stores, um, locker rooms at um, train stations, just basically just foment like real fear and make Americans feel like... Wow, America's being struck. Yeah, we're vulnerable. Right. Um, and so the guy said, okay, let's do this. And they, they, they shipped out on two different subs from Lorient, France. U-boats, baby. This is Germany. Yeah, okay. Untersee boats. U-boats. Yeah. Um, they left on U-584 and U-202. And, um, they had, each team had four boxes, three of like dynamite and other explosives, and then a fourth box of things like timers and um, detonators and wiring and all that stuff. Sausages. Sure, for just in <laughs> case they got a little hungry on the trip. Yeah, it was Germans after all. Right. Uh, they also had a lot of money. A they lot. Had, 
uh, roughly about a million dollars today. Um, at the time, each group had 50 grand, and they needed this to travel and to live and to bribe people and pay folks off. Right, in cash. So they had oh, yeah. in, what's equal to about a million dollars today in cash on them yeah. in nothing greater than a $50 bill. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Like physically a lot of money. Uh, each member was given 9000 five of which, which is very funny, like, uh, team leader is going to hold on to this. Right. And you can keep four yourself in your money belt. Yeah. And only carry like 450 in your pocket. Right. And um, that should be enough dough to carry out this plan was the idea. Yep. And then the uh, the team leaders also got handkerchiefs. Yeah. That had um, the names and addresses and things of contacts. Friendlies. In invisible in ink written on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So this is like a bona fide <laughs> spy, yeah. espionage, terrorism operation. Again, great movie in the making so right. far. Yeah. So the, um, the, and again, I think you said before that like Hitler was planning on sending several waves or wave after wave. Apparently, the schedule was every six weeks they were going to send one one or two teams to the United States. Yeah, I got. It. I mean, it was a really s- smart and scary plan. Yep. Um, because catching you know a, a tiny team of four guys who can assimilate as Americans, um, or at least good German Americans, that's that's tough to catch. Yes. So, Chuck. Yes. You two o two, which actually left two days after U five eighty four. Showed up off like fifty yards off the shoreline of Long Island, and, um, and that's just frightening to think about. Yeah, there was a German <laughs> U-boat fifty yards off of the the shore of Long Island. Yep. Um, on uh, June twelfth, nineteen forty-two, it showed up about eight in the evening, and it belches out its cargo of um, boxes of explosives and saboteurs, and the the dudes um, as they're rowing to shore. They put. They are wearing like German military uniforms. Yeah, I didn't fully. Un- this didn't make a ton of sense to me. Oh well, if you are caught in plain clothes behind enemy lines, the rules of war state that you can be shot on sight. But if you're caught as a German marine, then you're, you're prisoner just- of war, and you have to be. I, I'd treated- still say that was taking a chance. I would have dressed as an American. No, I mean, like, I I think that was smart. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would have dressed. I would have tried to assimilate, not been like I'm a German Marine. You, you, you're supposed to take me hostage, right? But I think Joe would have been like, "Yep, come on, let's go. <laughs> I'm taking you hostage." Whereas if the guy had been like, "You're a spy. I am allowed to kill you right here and now." Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I don't agree with that one. But hey, everyone has their own uh, rules when it comes to saboteuring. Okay, so sabotaging. Yes, yeah, sabotaging. I was just kidding, anyway. And I've learned recently that that was of um, that's that word is of recent provenance. Did you know that? Like, it, it didn't come into use until the beginning of like the twentieth century. That makes sense. I would have thought it was a fairly old word. Yeah. Nope. Did we just think of sabotage, or did we just start calling it that? Like, did they not used to sabotage back in the day? Yeah, I think they just started calling it that. Okay. So. Um, the, so this is Dasha's team, Team Eins. Team Eins. And they show up on the shore, and they're wearing, again, German military uniforms. Yeah, which they took off really quickly. Very quickly. Once they got on shore. Yeah, once they saw that, you know, okay, we made it. Yeah. The operation has begun. They changed, right? Yeah, they changed clothes, and they started, uh, I guess they put on their I Love New York shirts, and they started <laughs> digging 
big holes in the beach to di- to bury these uh, munitions, right. so they could come back as needed uh, when they wanted to blow something new up. Yes, they can't just carry that stuff around. No, they needed to just stash everything and go and cool out and make sure that no one was like onto them or anything like that, and then come back and get it, like you said, as they needed. Yeah, the plan was to meet up for the two teams to meet up in Cincinnati on July fourth, right? Um, for a baseball game. Is what I'm imagining. Yeah, yeah. The, the Reds versus the Braves. I don't know where the Braves were then. Probably Milwaukee. Sure. Okay. I don't think they moved to Atlanta until the '60s. Yeah, but I was trying to think of Boston, but they were that was long before. So um, the uh, team Einst was uh, was changing. They had just landed. Yeah. They were in the midst of changing when they were discovered by a Coast Guardsman. Yeah, well, one of them was that uh, Dosh climbed over a dune, and while the other guys were still burying and changing uh, their clothes, and he walked up, and there was a Coast Guard dude, John Cullen, standing right there, and he was like, hey, what you doing, right. <laughs> basically? And the guy was like, oh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he uh, he apparently was kind of handling things when Berger comes over, and Berger thought that, uh, so the Team Eins had been rowed to shore by two German sailors. Yeah. And I guess Berger lost track of the German sailors and assumed that they were still there and that for some reason... <laughs> it was only Dosh four had, guys plus the two. <laughs> right. And that Dosh had climbed over the dune to talk to one of the sailors. Yeah. So Berger comes up and asks a question in German. Yeah. And the Coast Guardsman, John Cullen, is like, why are you speaking German? We're at war with Germany. What's going on? Yeah. And at that point, Dosh tells Berger to get out. Yeah, he said, you fool, go back to the others. Right. And the guy was probably like, what others? <laughs> Wait a minute. And so Dosh's story was that they were um, fishermen, stranded fishermen. Yeah. And before he got really suspicious, Cullen, the guy from the Coast Guard, said, well, if you guys are stranded fishermen. That's gotta, my job. <laughs> yeah, we have a Coast Guard like house. Yeah. Party house, uh-huh. right up the beach. We just ordered some pizza. Come with me. You guys can eat some pizza uh-huh. and um, chill out. And Dosh is like, well, uh, we don't have any ID on us. Yeah, we don't have fishing permits either. Right. We yeah. don't want to get in trouble. So the guy was like, well, you're telling a guy from the Coast Guard <laughs> yeah. that, so you're in trouble, first of all. But secondly, that strikes me as weird. About that time, Berger comes up, asks his question in German, and Dosh sees the writing on the wall. And... Tells um, tells Cullen, well, he says, do you have a mother? And Cullen says, yes. And he goes, do you have a father? He says, yes. And Dosh says, well, then I wouldn't want to kill you. Yeah. So how about I give you some money? You can forget that this ever happened. And he tries to give him uh, 100 bucks, And Cullen says, nope. Yeah. He says, no, thank you. Um, and he said he ends up giving him $260. And Cullen basically realized that something was going down and I just need to just take this money and act like I'm down with the take right. and get out of here. So so he does so. He does. He skedaddles and then... Um, oh, but not before. This is a very key piece, actually. Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, Dosh grabbed his flashlight before he left and shined it on his own face and said, you will be meeting me in East Hampton sometime soon. Do you know who I am? And the guy was like, no, I don't know who you are. And he said, my name is George John Davis. Which was a lie. Uh, well, it was his real alias for the mission, though. Hmm. So, like, he actually gave him his real alias. And he said, what's your name? And um, Cullen said, Frank Collins. Which, uh, which was a lie. Which was a lie. Pretty quick thinking. 
And um, basically, he he scrambled back, and Dosh came back over and was like, little scene there, guys? I totally took care of it. Right. Should not be a big deal. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> Pay the guy 260 bucks. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. So everybody finished burying these boxes, which they did. And um, Colin ran off and went and grabbed some of his fellow Coast Guardsmen. By the time they got back, Team Eins had left. Yeah, they went and caught a train. But apparently, and this is another thing, so the U-boat that dropped off Team Eins had grounded itself on a sandbar. Yeah. And was sitting there, like, trying to get back out to sea because dawn was you coming. You just rocked back and forth in your chair. Was that? That's what it looked was like. Was that the method? They yes. had all the guys in there? Yeah, just moving <laughs> to the side left, to side. To the back. right. Right, exactly. Yeah. And finally, the tide came in just enough for them to dislodge themselves and go back out to sea just in time. But apparently, um, Colin and the other Coast Guardsmen who came back caught sight of this U-boat heading back out to sea. Yeah, not, not good. Right? Yeah. No. German U-boat off the coast of Long Island just ran into some guys who are speaking German and yeah. tried to pay you off. <laughs> sure. And then now all of a sudden, in the moonlight, you can see the ghostly outlines of four freshly dug holes in the sand. Yeah. Let's see what's in there. Yeah, I wonder if... um, I couldn't find... I saw that about the boat being stuck, but I couldn't find if that was, like, if they could have gotten away, you know, it could have all changed. They might not have been that suspicious. I think that Cullen was, he was on it appropriately anyway. suspicious. Yeah, he was definitely coming back. But seeing the U-boat was just icing on the cake. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So uh, the other dudes had hopped a... Well, they dug up the holes and they found the stuff and said, okay, um, this is a huge deal. Yeah, we just found a trove of explosives and yeah. German military uniforms buried on the beach like 60 miles from New York. Yeah, so toot sweet, by 1023 that morning... Those boxes were uh, in the office of New York City uh, Police Captain John Bayless, who then promptly got in touch with the FBI. And by noon that day, 13 hours after they had arrived, uh, the FBI had all that stuff in custody. And J. Edgar Hoover said, "There's a uh, we need to get a blackout on the news so these yeah. guys don't get wise to this. Right. And we need to get the largest manhunt in FBI history underway. And they did. And we will explore that and all the ways the FBI got some lucky breaks on this right after these messages. All right, so Team Eins, let's uh, recap here. They uh, are in Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. They go shopping at Macy's, of course. Yeah. They got a lot of cash. All they had with them was the clothes, the civilian clothes they brought, and all that cash. Yeah. That was it. Everything else was buried back at the beach, but is now in FBI custody, unbeknownst to these guys. That's right. So they go shopping at Macy's. They split into, they said, let's split up into pairs, because that makes sense. Uh, Kieran and uh, Hein, Hank. Checked into the Hotel Martinique, Dosh and Berger. I uh, went to the Governor Clinton Hotel. Governor Bill Clinton. And uh, I don't think so. And um, unless he was named after the hotel. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Never know. That's why he always wanted to be governor. So apparently um, Dosh and Berger met. Uh, he, he summoned Berger to his hotel room up on a tall floor and opened the window and said, I've got a, a, a plan and I'm going to tell you about it. And. If you're on board, you're on board. But if you're not, then one of us is leaving through the door. One of us is leaving through the window. He basically threw down the gauntlet. 
To Burger? To Burger. I, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and so Burger, he basically said, I would like to turn and saboteur, sabotage, the sabotage. Right. And go against Germany. And because America's kind of great. So Dosh was going to kill Burger if Burger didn't go along with it. That's what he said. And apparently Burger had the choice too. Like, or you can, you can I can defeat you and throw you out the window. Or and, you can triumph and be the living victor. Yeah. So I think Berger was just uh, on board. And yeah. uh, they said that in this article that um, Dosh probably was telling the truth that he was he was really this was his idea from the beginning. So here's the here's the question. Like, historically speaking, Dosh has been uh, seen as a genuine betrayer of this mission. Sure. But when he became a genuine betrayer of the mission is is at issue still. According yeah. to this History Net article, either for, he he knew it before they even landed. Yeah. And that that is why he showed his face and gave his real alias to right. John Cullen on the beach. Which makes sense. Or his encounter with John Cullen on the beach rattled him enough that he was like, this is never going to work. We're <laughs> already We're already dead in the water. That's a quick turn. So now I'm going to go ahead and betray it. Yeah, I say that he was in on it from the beginning. That's what that's my feeling. Because he was snoozing in spy school. Uh, just I don't know. It seems like a really quick. Like they just land on the beach. Five minutes later, he meets a guy and he's like, uh, "Wait a minute, it, it's off. I'm going to betray Germany." Right. It just seemed I don't know a little too hasty. Well, to maybe me. he had nerves of spaghetti. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cooked spaghetti even. So uh, he says, "Here's the plan." The, on this Monday, is Dosh to Burger, right? Yeah, he said on Monday, uh, I'm going to go to. Did, had they closed the window by now? Yeah, I think so. They went to dinner and everything was good. Oh. And he said, I'm going to go to, uh, I'm going to go to Washington and meet with J. Edgar Hoover. This should be pretty easy to get that meeting. The man himself. Yeah, I hear he wears nothing but a cape around <laughs> the office. And he said, you go back to the other two guys and just sort of occupy them for a little while while I'm going to D.C. and requesting a meeting with the FBI, the head of the FBI. Right. Um, so. Berger says, let's do this. Dosh says, okay, it's Sunday. And Dosh doesn't make his way to D.C. until Thursday morning. Yes. Instead, he goes, so remember, he was a waiter in America. Well, he called the, he called the FBI first, at least. Right, and the reason why he called first is he was a little worried because apparently back in, um, in a training camp in the woods, cop, Falter cop, had said, you guys don't need to worry. We have a man on the inside yeah. of the FBI. So um, Dosh was worried that if he called or if he just showed up at FBI headquarters. He talked to that one guy. Right. Out yeah. of all the FBI guys, he would have that, that level of bad luck. Which, from what I understand, that was something, that was a good concern for sure. him to have. Um, so he called the New York Bureau first and said, I'm a German dude. I've got information for J. Edgar Hoover. Tell him I'm coming. And then he hung up, and he went to a club for waiters, and then played pinochle for like two straight days. Yeah, I get. I, I think he was probably gambling. Uh, that's what I think too. Because I th- if I'm not mistaken with the math, he ended up with more money than he came with. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. So he went and gambled with sabotage money. I think so. Man, that guy is some serious cojones. Yeah. He's pretty awesome. Uh, so eventually, he said, "All right, I got to go to Washington. Um, this pinochle game has dried up." So he hopped on the uh, Acela Express for Washington. Sure. <laughs> uh, which I highly recommend, by the way. Man, train travel is awesome. It was Re- great. Regional train travel is a delight. 
such a delight. And especially from uh, Boston to New York, you just ride along the coastline there, mm-hmm. and it's just lovely. It is lovely. Sailboats and uh, Cape Cod houses <laughs> right. on points. Yep. Lobster rolls. Yeah. It's nice, good stuff. All right, so Dosh has arrived by train, finally. Uh, by this point, uh, Team Svi has landed. Right, these at are Ponte the pros. Vidra. Yeah. They show up in Florida, and they're yeah. like, let's do this for real. And I imagine Ponte Vedra Beach in 1943 it was a pretty low-key scenario. <laughs> for sure. You know? Yeah, I would think so. So they are uh, 25 miles south of Jacksonville. They bury their crates, no sweat, uh, hop on a bus, go to Jacksonville, um, they split up from that point. Two went to Cincinnati, two went to Chicago. Yeah, and like, I mean, they no were doing fuss, okay. no muss. Yeah. There wasn't like any, no one was calling the FBI. Like, they were in it to win it, basically. Yeah, why, they should have done, Team Eint should have done their recon beforehand. The U-boat should have not pulled up next to a Coast Guard station, first of all. That would have been one thing. Yeah, because that Coast Guard station was like half a mile away. Yeah, it was there. All right, maybe they had bad intel. Yeah. So, uh, Dosh gets to DC, checks into the Mayflower Hotel. Yeah, this is the same day that Curling's group lands in Ponte Vedra. Yeah. It's a big day. Huge day. Okay. Uh, and he in DC said, all right, I'm going to call the FBI again, because got to meet with Hoover. And he reached out to a, a Dwayne trainer. And of course, trainer says, you know, this is probably not a legitimate call. We get these kind of weird calls all the time, but just in case, um, let's go pick him up. Yeah, let's let's see what's going on. It's here. a slow day at headquarters. Yeah, exactly. So they go and pick up the German, and they bring him to the Justice Department. And um, Dash said that he was basically bounced from agent to agent. Every he was kind of a hot potato. Nobody wanted to deal with him. And finally, he convinced these guys enough to end up in the office of uh, Mickey Ladd, who uh, was running the manhunt for the spies, and the head of the spies was now sitting in his office. Yeah, telling him he's the head of the spies. And he still didn't quite believe him Yeah, until Dash said, oh, yeah, well, here, let me show you this, and dumped out $84,000 on um, Lad's desk. Yeah. And Lad said, I'm so pleased you came in today. Right. <laughs> Come with me. Yeah. So, Dash, here's, here's his idea is, I want to talk to Hoover himself uh, because I'm going to be a, a hero, and I might even get like a Medal of Honor out of this. Right. Like maybe J. Edgar will have me over to his house for dinner. Yeah. Who knows what could come of this? Well, Ticker sure. tape parade? Uh-huh. They threw those all the time back then. Yeah. Um, so they, the FBI gets him talking. He does get to meet Hoover briefly. Sure. But um, a couple of other agents take his uh, deposition, which lasts for 13 hours. Yeah. Before he finished, he had told them about Berger and where Berger was, and they went and picked up Berger. Yeah, he like while he was still telling them the story, yeah. they were already on at Berger's hotel staking him out. Yeah, so they before they picked up Berger, they were staking him out, like you said, and they watched Berger go meet uh, Kieran and Hank, and so they just arrested all three of them, and all all of a sudden they have Team Eins in custody within like a, a day of um Dosh walking into FBI headquarters. Yeah. It didn't go so well for Team Eins. No. No. So well, uh, when when the team leader betrays you, yeah. like yeah, you're you're in trouble. You're toast. So uh on June 22nd, Hoover uh, wrote to FDR and said, "You know what, sir? We've we've caught all the members of this group that landed on Long Island. Pretty great, huh? And FDR. we are awesome." Um he didn't mention that the guy turned himself in and told him where everyone was. Right. 
And uh, so FDR was just thought that Hoover had done like a bang up job, basically. Yeah, he's like, way, way to go. Way to do your job. Exactly. He lied pretty much. So um, Dash had no real leads or anything about Team Svi. Svi. Yeah. But he did have a handkerchief. That's right. That had contacts on invisible ink. And surprisingly, he hadn't blown his nose in it. Right. At this point. But. He couldn't remember how you were supposed to get the invisible ink to become visible. No. Luckily, the FBI had a crack team of lab techs on this thing, and uh, they figured it out. And now, all of a sudden, they had the names and addresses of all of the German contacts for these teams right there in their hands, thanks to Dosh. Yeah. Right? So they were all, obviously, staked out, just waiting on Team Eins, or I'm sorry, Team Spy, to meet up with these people. Right, which they did. But... First, Team Spy did some other weird stuff, like Herbert Haupt. He was in Chicago, where, again, he'd lived since he was five. Mm -hmm. And Haupt decided that he would buy a uh, Pontiac car. Yeah, he he went to his parents' house. Right. Told his dad everything. Yeah, had his dad buy him this car. Yep, and um, he proposed to his girlfriend. He Remember, he had left during the war, and he was an able-bodied man over age 18. Yeah. And so the local draft board... Um, wanted to know where he was. So he drops by FBI headquarters to clear up his draft problem, says, I'm back. Sorry, I've already registered with my local draft board. No need to track me anymore. I'm just an all-American boy. Yeah. And um, the FBI was like, yeah, sure. Thank you for coming by. Right. And then tailed him on the way out. Yeah. And then he led them to at least one other team member, right? Yeah, uh, and while this was going on, uh, Curling and Werner Thiel went to New York um, and met up with a friend named Helmut Leiner uh, because they wanted to have sex with a lady. <laughs> <laughs> and so Leiner hooked him up with the mis- his mistress, said, here, have sex with her. And he said, great, thanks. And he ended up uh, traveling with that woman, uh, Curling did, mm-hmm. And within a couple of days after Dosh surrendered, um, they spotted Curling uh, because they were trailing him at a bar and, where he met with Thiel, and they arrested both of those guys. Right. So two down on Team Spy. Uh, Herbert Haupt, I'm sorry, three down at this point. Right. Haupt was taken down in Chicago. Yeah. The only one left at this point was Hermann Neubauer. Right. And Neubauer spent his time in, uh, was it in New York? Uh I think he was in Chicago. Okay, you're probably right. Um, he just went to the movies over and over again. Yep. <laughs> That's what he did. He he was apparently lonely, so he sought out some friends of his wife whom he hadn't really met before. Yeah. Um, he told them everything. Told them everything. <laughs> he gave them his money for safekeeping. Unbelievable. But kept enough to go to the movies a bunch. So basically, he yeah. kept a dollar. Right. And um, well, Plus popcorn. Okay, dollar fifty. Yeah. And uh, then he um, was, I think he'd just come back from the movies when the FBI picked him up, right? Yep. So Dash, remember, is sure that like he's going to be feted as a hero, mm-hmm. that J. Edgar Hoover is probably like thinking about him right then. Yeah. He's just like, basically like Ralphie in A Christmas Story, just daydreaming about like how he's going to be carried around on everyone's shoulders. He probably should have been. So I mean, he's the reason why this went south. Because he said, you know what? I'm, ter- I'm siding with America. Sure. The thing is, 
Hoover. He didn't care. J. Edgar Hoover, not only did he not care, yeah. Hoover was taking the credit for all of this unraveling. Oh, yeah, so he had he, to bury this. Right. He couldn't let Dosh be known as this guy who had come and um, given him this whole thing on a platter. Right. Or else Hoover would look like an idiot. Yeah. And Dosh might very well have been hailed as at least a, a slimy yeah. collaborator sure. rather than a criminal. <laughs> yeah. After everybody was rounded up, the FBI arrested Dosh. And Dosh must have been quite surprised by this. Well, yeah, they arrested him, but they said, hey, just go along with this. You'll get a full presidential pardon after six months. Oh, really? Just sort of play along with the arrest. And he was like, oh, okay. I see. So put me in the jail with the other guys so yeah. they don't know. Yeah, exactly. He and didn't Hoover get, was like, yeah, yeah sure. Well, because that jive with Hoover's plan to keep it all quiet still. Exactly. It was working out great for Hoover. It didn't work out great for Dosh or the others, Chuck. No. So, um... FDR wanted to make sure that he could get the death penalty and that uh, this could be kept quiet. So he uh, he formed a military tribunal to try these guys. And it was the first one since um, Lincoln had been assassinated. Yeah, it was a big deal. So uh, the prosecutor was Attorney General Francis Biddle. Uh, Chief defense was Colonel Kenneth Royal. Um, the defense argued initially for a civilian trial. That was quickly scrapped, and they said, no, we're going to move forward with the tribunal. Yep. And uh, held the trial at the Justice Department in Washington uh, during the month of July 1942, and basically said, we, we know the whole, there's not going to be much of a trial, fellas. Right. We know everything because you told us everything. Exactly. You are coming here to sabotage and blow up our junk, and you're in big trouble. Right, and the prosecutors sought the death penalty as expected, um, but it was up to FDR to decide when and where. And to do that, he had to have a transcript of the trial. And when he got this transcript of the trial, it, he it, it became obvious that Hoover hadn't really done anything. Yeah, but apparently I mean, FDR never called him out on it in public. No, which was a nice thing to do, I guess. <laughs> I guess because that would have just been further embarrassment for like the whole country, you know. Yeah. So they kept that quiet, but um, at this point it was news all over the country. They weren't keeping it quiet with the press. No. Uh, and the American public was way in favor of the death penalty. Uh, in fact, there was an open letter published in one newspaper calling for them to be fed to Gargantua, the gorilla at the Ringling Brothers Circus. <laughs> because that's fair to Gargantua, too. Yeah, eat those Germans. Well, instead, uh, they electrocuted six of them on August 8th at the district jail in Washington, D.C. That's right. Um, including Herbert Haupt, who was just like, I just wanted a Pontiac. Yeah. I just wanted to go see my parents. <laughs> right. Uh, Berger and, uh, and Dosh were spared the death penalty because they basically had a hard time proving in court that they didn't, you know, Fully intend to betray the operation. Yeah, exactly. Right. So they did not get electrocuted. Um, they were sentenced, uh, Berger, to hard labor for the rest of his life. Yeah. And uh, Dosh was given 30 years, but President Truman commuted their sentences, uh, released them, and deported them. Had them shipped to um, West Germany. Yeah. West Berlin. Said, don't come back. Nope. Get out. And the, uh, the other guys were buried in a potter's field, by the way, in, outside Washington. Yes. Sadly. Which is now um, the D.C. municipal water treatment plant. Oh, really? Yeah. Where they were buried? Yeah. Just right now they're part of the system, <laughs> I guess. Um, and so Dosh and Berger go back to Germany. And Berger starts like feeding the media um, 
the story. Yeah, basically like five years later, and roughly. blame right, and blames Dosh for the deaths of these other six German patriots sure. who were saboteurs, right? And Dosh um, tried to publicly clear himself. He first sought a pardon in America so that he could come back. Yeah, he really wanted to get out of Germany. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine. Um, and uh, America said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to pardon you. We're still mad at you. Germany said, we're mad at you, too. And so he just kind of faded out of the public spotlight. Yep. He uh, he ended up dying in 1992 at the age of 89. And I didn't see any follow-up for... Uh, Burger? For Burger. No. I think he wasn't quite as vilified as Dosh was. Right. For sure. But that was not the last time the Germans sent saboteurs ashore. There was at least one other ill-fated attempt in 1944... Another German submarine. These are expensive boats, man. Yeah. They're, they are really taking a massive risk to drop off a couple of saboteurs. Yeah. But they did it again off um, off of Maine. Yep. In a snowstorm. And two uh, former American residents, German Americans, um, were, re- were sent off under the Maine coast in a snowstorm. They were seen by a local Boy Scout using a compass during the snowstorm on the side of the road, and the Boy Scout was suspicious, so he traced their tracks all the way back to the shoreline when they come out of nowhere. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to call the police. So nice. these guys, the Boy yeah. Scouts actually caught these guys? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, what's ironic is one of these German-American uh, saboteurs was a Boy Scout himself. Uh-huh. So it was like Boy Scout on Boy Scout tattling. Wow. Um, and uh, they got picked up immediately. And f- as far as everybody knows, that's the last time Germany ever tried that. Yeah, I think the idea was that Hitler um, was like, this This is embarrassing. Yeah, let's just focus on the rocket program. Yeah, we can't keep sending guys to the United States who immediately get there and start doing stupid things. Right. Giving themselves up. Yeah. Going to see mom and dad. Seeing in movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, playing Pinochle. So that's it. That's the story of the time the Nazis invaded Florida and New York and Maine. Uh if you want to know more about that, check out HistoryNet, check out Damn Interesting, check out all sorts of stuff. Yes. Just search it. You'll mm-hmm. find all sorts of cool things on it. I would not look for the movie coming soon to a theater near you. No, the third act, non-existent. No. Not really. No, it's just kind of a letdown. Yeah. Doesn't end with a bang. No. It ends with Germany being mad at them. Yeah. And America, too. Uh, let's see. I think uh, I said Germany's mad, mm-hmm. which means it's time for listener mail. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to call this a cute, our cutest, youngest fan, and it includes an audio clip. Uh, oh, yeah. Hey, guys. Did you hear this? Yes. It's pretty great. Yes. My son, Archer, is two and a half years old. Just two and a half. We listen to podcasts together while I rock him to sleep at nap time and bedtime. Uh, anytime he's tired, he says, Mommy, let's go Archer's room and listen to podcasts. Uh, I usually rotate between Stuff You Should Know and other How Stuff Works podcasts. He's never seemed to have a preference until about two weeks ago when I uh, put another podcast on. He said, no, Mommy, not that podcast, just Stuff You Know, the red one. Mm -hmm. Uh, You guys are his favorite, which is fine with me. And I have even attached a voice recording of him requesting your podcast. It was not rehearsed, mind you. It's just me asking him before his nap time today. And that is from Shauna. And Shauna gave us permission to hear from Archer. So let's go ahead and play that clip right now. Okay, are you ready to take a nap? Yeah. 
Do you wanna do you wanna listen to a podcast? Yeah. Okay, which podcast? Stuff you know. Stuff you should know. Yeah. Okay. Aw. Wow. Pretty cute. Holy cow. Kid knows uh, his stuff. Unbelievable. So Archer, if you can understand what's going on here <laughs> by the sound coming out of the speakers. We know you don't yet form memories. But hopefully this episode will be a documentation. That's right, Archer. So good luck in life. You're off to a great start. And now take your nap, little buddy. Nice. Well, if you want to share with us how your cute kid loves stuff you should know, we love hearing that, right, Chuckers? We do. Uh, You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 